Gregor calling it Float Fluff Dog Millionaire. Fluff Dog Millionaire. I like yeah. that. So that's why the hat has to. Got it. I've also learned that the backwards hat is key to get the light on the face. Right. It's not that I'm um, that I don't understand that I'm not 39 years old. You know that I, you know that I, like I understand. <laughs> it's just fluff dog millionaire that comes out, and it's crazy. Oh, I also started. I've got a, oh. a little Modelo. <laughs> I'm gonna go with my Erewhon, like 22 uh, bottle of mineral water. <laughs> great call, Modelo. I've been thinking about that first sip since about 5:45 this morning. Nice. Okay. That's going to be bad, bad content. And welcome to the Run Local podcast. Of course, the Run Local podcast is where we invite guests across the spectrum of society, including elite athletes, entrepreneurs, local legends, and beyond. We utilize the sport of running to learn more about these individuals their local community and what they're doing to change the world. Uh, we believe in the power of movement and doing the doable at a local level. So unlike other local other podcasts, you will get an opportunity to jump between a myriad of hosts, including Josh Muxon, he's the voice of Run Local Events, Jimmy Coleman, the voice of Nitro Circus, and once in a while, myself, JT Service, the founder of Run Local. Today, it is me, lonely me, but we have a fantastic guest that will keep the energy going. Peter Abraham. Peter, welcome to the Run Local Podcast. Thank you, JT. Glad to be here. What are we going to talk about today? Oh my gosh, I have I have like a, a whole laundry list that I wrote out on my Evernote, and then we're gonna I'm gonna quickly derail from that at every single opportunity to to, okay, to dig into the fun stuff. Um, I love it. So Peter, I've got to know you over the last few years. Uh, from a brand and marketing and content strategist, but I'd love to know how you think of yourself to describe to to our audience who might not know you, um, you know, what what the heck you've been up to for the last 30 years and why the world and endurance sports has come to revel in your genius around brand and marketing. That's how well, I see it. I would not say genius. I never use that. Okay. Um, no, I did. So um, it's a it's a great question. I get asked that often. I think at heart I'm a storyteller. You know, I started out um, after I went to UCLA and I went there to study film <clears throat> production and graduated and went right into the film business and produced television commercials and movies for almost 20 years. Along the way, um, you know, I've always been a really passionate outdoor athlete, not fast, but passionate, whether it's running or bike racing or surfing. And I, um, I, you know, as the world was changing in 2004, 2005, 2006, I could see digital really kind of, you know, blogs were happening. Facebook was starting to happen, et cetera. And I decided, I was fascinated by what was going on with technology. So I decided I needed my own um, kind of case study. So I started a running event and I had, I had run in dozens, maybe hundreds of 5Ks, 10Ks, marathons, et cetera. 
Um, so I had a feel for, you know, what the customer would want. And I, I could tell it was all changing. So I started my own running mm -hmm. event in Santa Monica, um, which grew really fast. And I got Nike and Red Bull in there as sponsors. So I learned a lot from them. Wow. I'd be in the office like every, um, you know, every other day. Hey, what are you guys doing over there? I, yeah. I was still in my day job producing television commercials to pay the rent. But I learned so much about marketing. And so I was basically giving myself a graduate degree in kind of new marketing because it was all changing, reading a lot yeah. of Seth Godin, et cetera. And then um, I sold that event to the owner of the LA Marathon, who was at the time, still is actually Frank McCord, who owned the Dodgers. And I became mm -hmm. the chief marketing officer of the LA Marathon. Um, I left film production. We rebuilt that event. It was days away from bankruptcy. So we rebuilt it basically from scratch around a whole mission of we inspire athletes and connect communities. And what I really um, learned there was building a business around a mission and how important that is standing for something. So cool. And kind of like, I really sort of found my purpose there and partnering with the president, Russ Pillar, who is still a very close friend of mine. We run together all the time. Um, that kind of blew up in 2011 after the owner, you know, went through a divorce, sold the LA Dodgers. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I have just worked with um, a variety of different brands, maybe 50% in sports, 50% tech and healthcare on, you know, telling their stories across different platforms that could be experiential marketing, that could be events, that could be, um, you know, serving as basically a consultant chief marketing officer and just kind of getting the whole orchestra playing together, playing the same yeah. song. And so- Isn't that I, a challenge? Like- It is a challenge. <laughs> and good marketing is all about getting all these channels working together. It's very difficult to mm. do. And um, so the projects I've worked on uh, recently are like, uh, <clears throat> been doing a lot of work for Canyon Bikes. I love bikes and mm -hmm. have ridden bikes since I was in high school. Um, uh, I've worked with a number of different marathons, like Big Sur Marathon, Malibu Marathon, um, you know, Nike, Red Bull, uh, gosh, Sonos, uh, um, some interesting healthcare brands like a division of Luxottica, um, eyewear, and I actually like uh, healthcare more than I thought. It sounds boring from the outside, but when you get into it, you think of, I was thinking, my, Kind of evaluation is should I work for this uh, client? Am I excited about it? The way I decide is will my work affect positive change in the world? And that That's really, cool. I think, That's over cool. the past 10 years is what I've come to understand is my kind of philosophy is that I want my work to affect positive change in the world. That's great. And that's great. There's this book that I'm reading right now. I'm reading right now. It's crazy echo in my things. Are you getting an echo in my thing? Are you getting an echo in my thing? I'm gonna try it differently. I'm going sans headphones. I'm going sans headphones. Technical difficulties at home, folks. We can edit. Maybe we can edit. Play with the edit. That's why it's not live. I hear every single thing I'm saying, like right after I say it. I see. Oh, it went away. Okay. Here we go. I love it. Okay. Um, I'm into this book. I'm right back to my question. Dane, check this part. I'm into this book. That, we'll make that note. 
<laughs> for him to do it. Uh, called Second Mountain, and it's by David Brooks, the uh, New York Times op-ed guy. Yep. And it's about your first mountain being very society-driven, and like you're checking these boxes, like you get the job, and you're making a lot of money. Yes. You get the first wife, and then she looks a yep. certain part or something like that, right? And you get to the top of that mountain, well, I don't know what you are, some mid-level manager of some sort, and you realize that that wasn't your mountain at all. You were just climbing the wrong one. So it's called Second Mountain to, to start finding that second piece. And I'm curious if that, if you could relate to that at all, or if you think you were just climbing two mountains that were just um, different. You know what I mean? Right. I think it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. I can totally relate to it. You know, last year, I decided, I'm not sure why, but I decided to graph out my career post-college. So from graduating UCLA um, and, and like on different timelines going across, like uh, what was my job? What was my career interest? If that was different from my job, what was my health, my fitness, my relationship status, et cetera. I looked at all these things over time. Yeah. And I realized like, let's just say from 25 years old to 65 years old, there's about four 10-year sections. I'm beginning six, so I'm beginning the fourth quarter of my that part of my career right Look, now. And what I realized, great, and, great. And, and you can start to see trends in each of the, for me, it was 10-year cycles. First 10-year cycle, 25 to 35, was get out there, start a career, start making money, buy a house, um, build some skills, um, get married, etc. okay? The next 10 year cycle, 35 to 45, was do my own thing. So that was I start my own company, kind of uh, figure out what I wanna do professionally rather than working for other people. So I was like, do my own thing, build a family, you know, have kids, all that. Third 10 year cycle, 30, uh, 45 to 55 was understand my purpose, which is, as I mentioned before, I want my work to affect positive change in the community. So that, and that was really what I gave a TED talk about uh, four years ago, was about my journey into running and discovering my purpose. And so now I believe, as I look forward to the next 10 years, the last quarter of this section is gonna be about putting all those things together, kind of synthesizing them, I haven't really gotten all the um, firing on all eight cylinders at once. You know, like, um, as you know, like, life is just super challenging. And so, like, sure, you might find your purpose, but, like, can you make a living doing your purpose? Yeah, that may or may not align, you know? Right. So, um, so anyway, so now it's about, like, really synthesizing and putting together all my different varied skills and if i was to look back at like the one through line that has connected through has always been like storytelling mm -hmm. even like if i'm building a, a running event it's like what's the story for the customer what's the story for the brand partners what's the story for the cities how do we make change with that like so i, I think storytelling is a through line but definitely there are four quarters so i think i like i want to read that book now i'm glad you brought it up sounds yeah. great by yeah. that. What are you reading? Anything? I'm reading, I'll tell you what I'm reading. Um, I'm reading three books right now, which is kind of often. I have a few books going. I just yeah, do um, Tartine Baking, you know, uh, Tartine Bakery in San Francisco, because I've been 
teaching myself to cook sourdough, which is shockingly difficult. And right there with you. It's a super hard, just to get the starter right. And then like, it's way harder than I expected. And I've been like cooking, like I'm into cooking and it's like a whole new world. So, but that book is really like kind of a classic of the genre, right? Then um, uh, I'm in the middle of almost done with a collection of short stories by Joan Didion, um, California mm. writer from the 60s and 70s. Um, these are all like articles for like, I think it was the Atlantic Monthly then, which was, you know, was now the Atlantic. They're fantastic. She's like the quintessential California writer. It's all like mid 60s. It's, un it's just great. And she's such a beautiful writer, like her writing craft and skill. <clears throat> it's mostly nonfiction, like magazine stories, but it's amazing. And then the third book that I just started the other day that I've been meaning to read for, I don't know, five years, 10 years, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a psychologist. Maybe my favorite book. So we're getting okay, into my territory. 30 pages into that. My mom just gave it to me. She had it laying around her house. I was like, I've always wanted to read that. And so, um, so I'm re you know, obviously Holocaust survivor, spent years in wow. Nazi camps in Nazi Germany. and um, just really gives you a dose of, I think, perspective <clears throat> during hard times like these. And so that's what I'm reading. That is wonderful. So that's a new question for me. I've just been asking everybody because I am, okay. I'm still one of, I'm one of the last book readers of my generation, I think. Um, so I'm still book reading is really great. I mean, I think it's, it's, I think underrated these days in the era of social media and everything, but losing yourself in a book is still. So, so you mentioned sourdough, which immediately brings me to the times that we're in. Everybody's making bread. But we're also in this like really weird space. And I'm going to focus a little bit on the endurance industry today because you and I are so deep into it. And I think a lot yeah. of our audience, and they like to know about the business facts, you know, backstory. Yeah. yeah. And I just, we, we talked a little bit yesterday about how things will change. And yes. It's not I don't want to talk about like, oh, we're going to have more hand sanitizer stations or some of like the logistics and the ops and, and people. And that, that will change. Doesn't, that doesn't get me up in the morning right now. I'm, I'm curious in that it has lit a freaking fire under my team. And I don't know why it's gotten, like, I don't want to say it's positive, but something about this chaos or this, this thing forced us to look hard at what we were doing, how we were spending our time, how we were connecting to our runners and our potential customers. All yes. of these things, that may change. And it was almost just like, it's a do or die right now. I think some people are like, oh, I'm gonna take this time to relax and, and use it to, to build up for when the, all the events come back on, at least my contemporaries. And in my mind, I'm like, no way, we've gotta go now I, because things are gonna change so fast and I don't, I, I don't wanna be behind it when, whatever it is that is changing virtual yeah. more uh digital content and all these different pieces and i'm curious if you've seen this it's just like general thing in there if you have thoughts on it yeah i mean uh i've been thinking about this stuff a lot as it relates to endurance events and as it relates to society and culture in general um you know and i have been talking to um a lot of different 
people. In fact, I've been interviewing people for my blog. In fact, you're next on the blog. Will you? Will you? You want to be interviewed for the blog? I'm in, I'm in too. I'm okay, get to that you can't back out now. Okay, you can't back out. Too late. You're committed. I'm holding you to it. Yes. Um, I've been interviewing a lot of people about the freaking S. Epstein, like one of my favorite authors. Right no, he's great. So um, uh, I think, generally speaking, um, the crisis. So first of all. Um, you know, I just personally feel lucky that my family or and close friends have not been impacted with serious illness or death. There's really, it's, I think it's easy to overlook. Um, yeah. If you don't know anybody who's been seriously impacted, it's easy to overlook um, the fact uh, that over 100,000 people have now died because of the virus. Like David Epstein, I called him to talk to him about, do you want to be interviewed? Do you want to you know, do an interview for my blog. He's like, sure. I'm like, how, how are you and how's it going? And he said, well, my uncle just died and my wife's grandmother just died from the virus. I was like, oh my gosh, it was really uh, brutal. So, um, okay, so that aside, okay, looking at sort of business and culture, um, many things that were gonna happen anyway that were in progress that would have happened in the next, you know, five years, are being accelerated and happening in three to six months. So if you look at like the death of certain kinds of retail, um, you know, you and I talking like this on video conference, which we didn't do this before. We might have talked on the phone, but we didn't talk this way. Um, working, you know, working from home. Um, you know, both my kids are in college. They're both, um, as every college is right now, they're they're all doing school online. Um, not that it's all going to continue that way, but some of it will. So. Yep. There are all these um, trends going on that were happening anyway, and I, and I and I think one that is exciting that impacts certainly what you do is like all these people are outside running, walking, and riding their bikes, and I think yep. there are a number of reasons for that. I personally am tremendously excited and passionate about this, um, and I think there are a few things going on. First of all, obviously from a fitness point of view, every gym is closed. Uh, you know, yoga studio, et cetera. And it it could take years for those to come back and like virtually half of them might not come back. So just from a fitness point of view. Secondly, everybody's, you know, working from home, kind of isolated in their houses. People are desperate for community contact. And so I think when you go outside, it's not that you're talking to everybody as you're riding your bike or you're running or walking, but you kind of feel the community out there. You feel included in your city and your community. And then um, third of all, I think people are rediscovering the simple things in life. And I think a lot of us are reverting back to comfort things like baking, you know, like you brought up sourdough is completely, is one of them. Like it's, it's like, it's like flour, salt and water. It's the most basic, it's just not easy, but it's so, there's a simplicity to it. And you could say the same for riding your bike, for running and for walking and hiking. And I think people are going back to that. And so I think, those changes are actually going to be tremendous. The air is cleaner. There are few cars, fewer cars on the road. And already certain cities are really adapting to this. Like you see what's going on, like Paris and London, unbelievable, like closing streets permanently, Oakland, closing streets permanently, cars. I'm really sad that LA has not taken more of a leadership role in this because I, I think it'll be amazing if and when they do it. And I hope. Um, 
even just a fraction of the people who have started getting outside, walking, running, and riding their bikes stick with that as we move forward. Yeah, that's cool. So that, I mean, that poses a, a huge opportunity for myself in this space. But you know, then there's challenges that we can't get everyone together. So we've got to come up with that uh, symphony of how do we get people moving, stay in the sport of running, walking, cycling, without the opportunity to put them together in large groups for potentially a year plus, you know, in in a vaccine-free world or, or whatever it's going to be. So I always think about like, you know, we've got to get creative. We've got to get some kind of small groups or uh, are they virtual opportunities? Are they uh, club runs? Are they really, you know, just, I, I get excited about that stuff because I, I like to think of new solutions um, to how to keep them engaged. And I think, you know, yeah. the straw is the Zwifts. You know, one of the things I see happening like in times of crisis is people's creativity really gets unleashed. And I think mm. uh, a crisis is an amazing way for people to demonstrate leadership and there are a thousand ways to do that but you really see um obviously you, you just look out in the world and you can see examples of really great leadership happening examples of really terrible leadership happening and, yeah. a, and a crisis really kind of brings that out of people and right. so for the people who have chosen to lead and i mean at any level in their family in their neighborhood in their business in their yeah. running their running community whatever it is <clears throat> i think there's so many um, great opportunities to do that. And I think being creative and coming up with clever solutions to problems is a great way to demonstrate leadership. And there are, um, there are a lot of interesting things happening that I'm paying attention to. So just like, you know, hot off the presses, I've been doing a fair amount of work with USA Cycling, kind of helping kind of um, with a bunch of different gravel races and gravel cycling. and we, I talked yesterday to Rebecca Rush, and she, she, you know, this whole thing um, in cycling called Everesting has gotten going, where people try and ride in one day 29,000 vertical feet like Mount Everest. Super hard. I've not done it yet. Probably will never. But, you know, Rebecca just got a whole bunch of people going around the world, 11 different countries, 890 athletes, over, I think, 10 million feet of vertical gained all with this hashtag, good, giddy up for good, benefiting different wow. bike charities. And she just like cooked that up. I thought that was amazing. Um, I think, um, you know, just what I've seen some athletes doing, like just this morning, um, our mutual friend, Steph Bruce, who in fact introduced you and I, if you remember, right, Steph Bruce ran a timed mile and ran a huge PR in the mile, 435. <laughs> and so, I think that is great when athletes just um, kind of like take charge and do uh, go, I'm going to just do some interesting stuff right now and bring people on for the ride. That's great. I love that. I do too. It says creative creativity or the potential for creativity at all, at all walks of life, right? Like, yes, correct. Correct. Um, and that produces all these things. So I, I hate to say it when we're in these times, but I love that time. Like, as an event producer myself and a few others, the really good ones are somewhat bored when everything is working out perfectly. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you. And I'm a producer at heart, so I, I right. totally know what you're talking about. And I think for producers, I think the challenge and the fun of work 
is building something. I think right. when you're building and you're making something, and I think that's like an elemental human need because we've been doing that for a million years. And so when you, everything's kind of going and you're sort of maintaining, it's fine, but it's not as fun as making something. Yeah, and honestly, that's a great point. I didn't think about it as building. For me, it was like problem solving, but that problem solving is just keeping the building going, like keeping yeah. that, the production. Yes. So yeah. you've been doing a cool thing and you, you, you touched on it for just a moment. So you've taken this time, because I don't think you were doing this blogs interview series before uh, COVID-19 or the pandemic, were you? Or is this, is, was it previous and no, this is new? I have had a, I have always, I've blogged since, I started blogging at the LA Marathon. Um, yeah. I started, you know, that's where I really like, uh, I had tweeted a little bit with my event when Twitter started, but LA Marathon, I really got on it and I really built our social media profile and became the most followed marathon in the world on Twitter at that time, which was very early. It was like 2010, 2011. But um, and that's what I was thinking about TikTok. I was like, get on the damn TikTok right yeah. now. Like, no else is uh, in the red. Endurance that's fight, space. Great. TikTok. And they're like, I'm like, I'm so yes. And um, and so, you know, the crisis hits right in the middle of March. Right. I was pitching a bunch of work for my marketing agency. Two of the projects that I was pitching just got put on hold. One I got, smaller project, but very interesting. Um, and I had a little bit of work with some other clients, but definitely like my workload um, with marketing clients, like probably got cut in half. And my income, you know, it's hard. My wife is a TV commercial producer. She was on a shoot in um, Vancouver kind of got like the last plane out of town, like uh, March 16th, maybe. And um, so definitely it's been like hard for us from the point of view of like, you know, making less money, less busy, you know. So I, I but really quickly I went and I would say I drew upon my experience like, you know, I have lived through the dot-com meltdown of 2000, 2001. I had a thriving production company there was a little mini ad recession after that, like 2003. I had to close my company. It cost me a ton of money. I was apoplectic. It was an awful experience, but I survived it. And then 2008, 2009, financial crisis. I was around for that. So like I've kind of been through these. And in in the past, when I would like particularly 2003, I just wanted to like crawl under my desk and like. Mm -hmm. And glue over. I really did not want to communicate, deal with things, deal with the hard questions. And so in this one, I've been much more like eyes open, head up, I'm trying mm -hmm. to like see the big trends and the big picture and like go, you know what? I'm going to do three things right now. Number one, I'm going to take care of myself, okay, and my family, just in terms of like being physically, like keep working out and keep meditating every day. Um, and, um, you know, and number two, um, I'm going to be really scrappy. Like, I'm just going to figure out ways to get by right now. And that includes, like, financially, whatever it is, and keeping myself busy. So um, I have had, I'm, you know, very entrepreneurial at heart. And I've had a couple um, projects that have been on the back burner for the last couple of years, not working on them that much. And I just like, I'm dusting that off, I'm pulling it off the shelf and I'm getting to work on it. So one is I have a series of sports coaching apps. So we decided 
with my brother and our golf coach partner with the golf coaching app to dive back into that. My brother's been coding every weekend, spiffed up, added new video, new features, so that we're launching next week. I'm excited about that. Um, and then the second thing is I've always shot a lot of stock footage for Getty Images on and off through the years, stock video. And I, and I have all these cameramen friends from my days in the film business all over the country who are like all overnight out of work. Peter, what are oh. we gonna do? So I'm like, I got it. So I get all these briefs from Getty. They, they need all these shots, like particularly around the crisis, like people working at home, people cooking at home, uh, homeschooling, home food delivery, whatever. And I've got all these cameramen going, sending me shots via Dropbox and I'm uploading to Getty every week. So, so those things at least made me feel like productive yeah, and, that is and, and like I'm busy every day. And oh. then on top of that, I just decided to start blogging and tapping into the um, interesting stories that interesting friends of mine have. So I just started this series for my blog called Life During Lockdown. And I just started interviewing interesting friends of mine for the blog from, you mentioned David Epstein, um, former UCLA gymnastics coach and legend, uh, Valerie Condos Field, my friend who's a guitarist, the lead guitarist in Modest Mouse, Jim Fairchild, um, runners, Steph Bruce, um, Alephine Tuliamuk, um, a lot of pro cyclists, Pete Stetna, um, Ian Boswell, Ted King, etc. So I've just been um, just like sharing what pe people are doing during the lockdown and how what their point of view is on it. And it's interesting, I just ask them basically the four, I, I ask basically the four same, same four questions to each person and get wildly different answers from each person. It's super simple. That's cool. Well, that's every week I, I see a new one pop up when you put it out on Twitter. I think that's where I catch it first. Yeah. And I'm like, how the hell does he know everybody? Like, what, <laughs> do you have some friend? Do you have some kind of friend? A Rolodex? A, uh, a, oh, uh, that's how I picture it. On your desk is this yeah. friend Rolodex. You check in on people because you're always great about checking in. You check in with me and we have great conversations. And I really appreciate it. I'm yes. just like, what's going on? Um, I will say, I'll say JT that I have really appreciated friends who have checked in with me, friends and family, and I have also tried to reciprocate and just touch base with friends, whomever they are, even if I haven't talked to them in a year and a half, whatever, I just try and check in with my family and friends and I, I think it's meaningful and I hope that um, trend continues after the crisis. That's cool. Be a good friend. So that's, yeah. That's, it's a great way to go through this thing is is kind of having a plan like for yourself and how you're yeah. going to do it. It's Correct. Fun. I'm going to shift gears a little bit because one reason you came up, well, I always wanted to, at some point was going to have you on this podcast, but we, in our, our world of pivoting and shifting, we started um, a virtual event so that it's the Run Local Events presents the California Coast 500. So it's 500 yeah. miles from Santa Monica Pier through Big Sur, all you know, Santa Barbara, Big Sur, and then to San Francisco along Highway One. So we're calling it Run the One. Um, we opened registration yesterday. We've got 500 people plus signed up. I think we're going to get thousands of people that just like need a little bit of motivation and like something that won't just be a virtual event for this Friday uh, or this Saturday where they're going to do a 5K or something like that, where they can repeatedly 
challenge themselves, inspire themselves. And, and we want to and add like a little a couple. Does it, it add yeah. up like you run, let's say you run eight miles a day, you yeah. got to run whatever 60 days to get to 500? Is that yeah, the idea? Yeah. So you have the summer. So you've got June 8th to September 7th. So about three months total. Uh, it's I think it's five and a half miles if you're going to do the whole 500. But there's different levels. You can hit 100 miles, 200, 300, 400. You're going to get recognized yes. for these different an actual medal, a badges, digital badge, and things like that. Got it. What I wanted to talk about a little bit is I think of you as you know Santa Monica. You you've worked down there for a long time, I assume. Yeah. In West LA, was the first time I met you was down at your office down at the old WeWork. Um, yeah. And I'm curious if you can give us just like a little sense of the running scene in West LA. Like, I know there's places to run. I don't think people think of LA as a running city, but there's good runs there. Like there's, and there's still a community. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a thriving running community in LA. I mean, there are many running communities. <clears throat> Obviously LA is so geographically spread out that the communities are often are tied to a certain geography like um and they're all different running clubs and so there's you know kind of i would say the more old school running clubs are the ones that train for marathons like the la marathon or others that'd be like la roadrunners la leggers the the lopers etc um and they usually have a long run on the weekend often at the beach in venice or santa monica i would say like palisades park in santa monica is the central park of los angeles in general, in terms of everybody comes there to do their long runs on the weekend because there are um, dirt paths, bike paths on the beach, weather's cool during the summer, um, water fountains, bathrooms, etc. So that's kind of like one scene, the kind of more old school traditional running scene. Then you have track workouts Tuesday, Wednesday nights throughout in different places in the city. Um, then you have over the last five six years the whole night run crew thing has sprouted up and there are many of them obviously you know and i this is i got deeper into this in my ted talk but like blacklist la they're really based mostly downtown but there's koreatown runners there's um uh, valley runners dtla runners there are um you know electric flight crew on the west side etc all these different groups and that's great and that's a much younger demo that's not so much tied to races and events although there are a lot of people there who do some marathons i work out um sometimes with november project west la um, which is really worldwide you know we do the morning at 6 30 in the morning at ucla average age is probably 28 it's free it's just a good kind of general all-body workout, running stairs, burpees, you know, sit-ups, another lap kind of workout. But it's great. There's a lot of hugging going on. Um, and I, what I see in these groups is their, uh, it's social first and fitness second. So super social, younger. It's not all about like, you know, hey, what's your mile time? What's your 10? What's your marathon time? not so much about that it's like yeah hey we're all getting fit but it's really just all about being social and working out and i i think it's it's been and i would call it like honestly the kind of 
younger fitness, I would call it like a movement, honestly. And I think the traditional running world was super slow to come around and get to this. Mm-hmm. And I really dove into it when I did a project for Lululemon around, um, I did a couple projects for Lululemon around the Olympic trials, the LA Marathon. And I started to dive into these groups and go run with them and um, and just really learn a lot about it. And so I, I think it's really exciting. They're super online. They live on you know Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think it's inspiring and it's free and it gets people out and it's young. Yeah, that's cool. And I think you, we might have touched on something that, you know, we're talking about these, this growing trend of runners because the gyms aren't open and that, um, uh, they can't go to their studios and pieces like that. Uh, uh, hopefully, once we're allowed to congregate in groups together, at least small groups, these run crews and clubs or whatever try to make them, themselves as open and as available and accessible as possible to new runners. I think it's going to be super key to like getting them to not just run by themselves, but then to connect with the community side that is available for them now that they're into the into running, walking all those different things. Right, and and I think. For the most part, I think these run crews have been pretty welcoming to experienced runners. Like, you know, the big um, blacklist run is Monday night at 10 o'clock. Okay, Monday night at 10 o'clock downtown L.A. and like 300 people show up. It's like being in a 5K. And it's free and it's fun and it's four miles and it's not, you know, you could run at any pace from – People at the front are running six-minute miles. People at the back are probably running 12-minute miles. And so you can run in there anytime. Nobody cares about pace per mile on a lot of those events. And it's super um, welcoming. I would say, honestly, way more so than going to a typical, like, track workout, yeah. which is like super not hardcore, you know. Right. And, um, and, and I think there's a lot that a lot of sports can learn for this. I, I've you know, really been working a lot in cycling in the last couple of years. And I mean, there's typically been no more elitist exclusive group than road cyclists. You know, they're really not good at that. And you see in the gravel movement has sprung up. It's super welcoming and oh, super like, fun. And growing. That's yeah. Why. And growing. And I, and I think like you can equate in cycling, gravel cycling a little bit with the ultra and trail scene. And and the run crews kind of also, and um, and so I, I love the the youth movement in endurance sports that are about fun, that are about community, and that are just about showing up and participating. Yeah, I love it, and I think that's a great place to put it. You know, a great oh, great place to stop it. But like, we're I'm all about getting people moving. That's been our mission. So we, yeah. you know, our vision is to to make as many people on this earth move, move inspire them to move as possible. Yeah. With the idea that if we're moving, we're happy. It, essentially, you know, more happy. You know, we're yeah. as worried about things like that. So this opportunity and see more people out there and to see more opportunities of ways you can partner that you don't have to be a serious, serious athlete. And if we can take some of the intimidation factor out of it, then I think it's better for all of us long-term. And we could see another kind of like boom that's out of it. That's right. And, and I think it's, Really, what I see working in across all the different um, sports that I work in is what is working. And even in youth sports, I spent years like coaching soccer, mm-hmm. youth sailing, because my son was really into sailing. So I really spent years in like youth sports and different endurance sports. And I think 
you've got to start with fun. So you get yeah. people to show up for the fun and the community, and then you sneak in the fitness on the side. But you don't lead with that. Yeah. You know, it's come for the community and stay for the fitness. But you, you get them, you get them hooked on the fun. Like let's be honest. And that's whether like, it. I mean, I just saw like youth soccer was the worst. I mean, these parents like over competitive and like just take that out of it till they get to like 17 years old. Just don't even worry about. It. Just make it fun. You know, so, that's not up. Like it like played four sports. You know, now it feels like everyone just like gets a sport and they just like go go go. Correct. Correct. And, uh, and, and so make it fun, man. That's, that's what it's all. And I think that's why November project has really thrived because yeah. it's generally, it's a really enjoyable and welcoming experience, you know? Super cool. All right. I think that's a great place to stop it. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the Run Local podcast. I loved all the different conversations, learning what you're reading. And then, uh, I guess I'm stuck having to do an interview with you uh, on your system. Yeah, that's right. I will email you the questions. I'll return the favor. Okay. Thanks, JT. Thanks so much, Peter.